0: Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. Our guest today is Jonathan Wolfson, who is a serial entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Brainiac Foods. Brainiac Foods produces brain-boosting snacks with the nutrients young minds need. We discuss his framework from idea creation to founding a company and the origin story behind Brainiac, what he thought was missing from the market, and his approach to building product and releasing new SKUs. Without further ado, here's Jonathan. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm well,
1: Mike. Thank you for having me. I, uh, I've i been listening for a while, and it's uh, so cool to be here with you.
0: Honestly, that's so kind to say. Really kind to say. It's really an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and really excited to, to talk about Brainiac and what you're currently working on. So you're a serial entrepreneur. You're a very successful entrepreneur. I'd love to kind of know and understand, like, what's your framework from brainstorming ideas all the way to founding a company?
1: You know, I think... For me, it's always been that the things that I've done have been things that I've been really, truly excited about. The kind of thing where, um, you know, you wake up first thing in the morning or sometimes even wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, maybe, sorry, too much information. But you wake up and, like all of a sudden something pops into your head about this idea because you're so jazzed about it or you wake up in the morning. And so all the things I've done have been really those kinds of things that have really made me excited. I've spent a lot of time doing things that I think generally are gonna improve lives of people and the planet. And, and that's been a big driver for me.
0: When you think about you know things that, I guess, bring you energy and get you excited, how do you then, what's your kind of process in when you're thinking about ideas and maybe problems that you're solving that you know they are like the right that maybe the idea makes sense and it kind of goes all the way down to you know founding the actual company itself.
1: There's no substitute for putting in the time. Research. I would say for a lot of my companies Including the ones I'm working on now, the amount of time I put in sitting in a library, um, often you know using the internet instead of the books in the library. Be honest, but just sitting there away from distraction, cranking away to answer questions and figuring out how to get access to articles and all kinds of stuff like that. You can't substitute for doing the background research.
0: Absolutely. Also, I think too, like being flexible in terms of what your solution would offer and not getting too caught up in this head.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, there's this bigger picture issue, which is are you actually providing a solution that people need? Is it based on pushing a technology and trying to find a solution? Is it put? Is it based on trying to provide a solution to a problem that no one needs to solve, really? Or that there's other maybe not quite as good solves that are a lot easier? I mean, there's so many things you got to take into account. But a lot of it, for me, has always been, you know, let's tackle big problems that, you know, we're uniquely suited. I'm uniquely suited to, 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 to get into and, and make a difference.
0: So... Speaking of big problems, you found this company, Brainiac. Tell us a little bit about what that journey was like going from, you know, ideation to problem you wanted to solve for, all the way to, you know, the early motions of realizing, hey, like I actually do want to put kind of two feet in the water and and actually do this. Well, you know, I I had come
1: out of the company I'd founded before that had started in a garage. In Palo Alto, and 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 taken public, and and ran as a public company CEO for you know I counted every earnings call, and I left, and you know you have this little period of time where you go from doing something every day to doing nothing, and you know sitting around, in, you know in in t-shirts and occasionally boxers, you know again too much information, but you know. Trying to figure out, like, what's next. And then this time it was like a, a, a personal bolt of thunder. My, my third child was born. And almost immediately after he was born, he was diagnosed with failure to thrive and we couldn't figure out what was going on he, we we had to bring a scale with us everywhere he was losing weight and it was it was actually pretty scary i mean cut fast forward everything worked out fine but it was scary at the time and we ultimately figured out that my wife who had gotten pneumonia right after he was born couldn't breastfeed at that point and we needed to move him over to formula which You know, I mean, that's a a pretty good answer, but, you know, given my background and and the companies I started in food and food tech, and I had a a whole host of experts in nutrition and pediatricians and neurologists, and including my dad, who's a neurologist, and I just started asking people, you know, because I was a little worried about formula. And, And, you know, what I heard was, look, there are a few critical nutrients at this point that are involved in brain development and eye development. And the good news for you is that almost all the infant formulas in the country have them. Your son's going to be fine. Relax. And then came the kind of the ball out of left field, which is, but what about your older kids? What about you? And to me, what do you mean my older kids? They're fine. What do they eat? They, They eat pizza and French fries. And, well, we try to get them to eat good food. But the real point was finding out that. There are these critical brain nutrients that continue to be very important past infancy, not only into childhood, but it turns out through our entire lifespans. And you know, the next thing for me was understanding what and why. and And the big aha was when I started looking at what the experts said, Organizations, I mean, like the World Health Organization and the CDC and the US, you know, and the USDA and the National Academy of Science. And what I found was kind of pretty stark, right? One of the main components in our brain, as for example, is something called DHA. It's an omega three, and it can comprise up to fifteen percent of our brain's, a kid's brain, and the the world health organization says that you know we kind of need this much and and then the cdc and the the usda say most of us are getting this much which is 20% of what we're supposed to be getting and and uh, and there's this massive brain nutrition gap and then you look at some of the other key nutrients our brains are made of like choline and lutein and they have these huge gaps so brainiac was inspired really to fill the brain nutrition gap and be a brain health company to deliver solutions.
0: What are some of the reasons why, when you were doing your research, why there is such a gap in these, I mean, three critical nutrients in the brain?
1: Well, I mean some of it is because we're talking about essential things. And when you're talking about essential things, some they're things that either don't get made at all or don't get made well in the body, and so they really need to come from your nutrition. And for things like DHA omega-3 and choline and, and lutein, you can actually get everything you need from whole foods, right? So, you know, the idea that you need to eat foods that are enriched in these things. It's not true that you need to eat food enriched in these things. It's it's true that you need to get all these nutrients. But the reality is, and this is where life comes in, this is where companies come in, this is where effort comes in. The reality, Mike, is that most of us don't do what we need to do. We don't eat salmon a couple times a week. We're not eating a lot of broccoli. We're not eating a lot of walnuts. And we're not eating the critical nutrients that our brains need. And that's the best way to get them to eat those things. But to the extent that most of us aren't getting them that way, and most of our kids are definitely not getting them that way, then the next best way is to get them in food, which is what we do at Brainiac.
0: It also makes sense to just. Thinking about myself when I was, you know, maybe like an older kid, like, you know, maybe not, of course, like a baby or toddler, but, you know, in that, like five years old, seven years old, you know, 10 years old, like I ate tortellini. Like that was like my, you know, that way my brother and I were raised on tortellini. And so, like, you know, not getting those, you know, omega-3s, choline and, you know, lutein from, you know, that. When we talk about, for example, salmon and, you know, broccoli, you know, I mean, a lot of kids obviously don't like to eat those types of foods. So it also makes sense in terms of why we have that gap when it comes to Getting the right nutrients for the brain, especially as you know, as you target towards like that age group.
1: Yeah, and the truth is, as you would guess, Mike, there's a lot of places in the world where that gap is either a lot smaller or it doesn't exist, right? But you know, our big market, the place we're from, the place we're focused on, the place we launched is the U.S. And here, not only kids, but adults are not getting a lot of these critical brain nutrients. And, and you know, one quick thing I think to interject here too about what. Brainiac is as a brain health company. We're not focused on, it's very science forward, science proven to the extent that what we really do today is we focus on the critical nutrients that our brains are actually made of. There are other things that people suggest can be important for like memory and things like that. You know, some people like to eat lion's mane mushrooms and things like that. I think it may turn out lion's mane mushrooms are great. I wouldn't say the proven science is there yet, but I would say the proven science: DHA can be 15, up to 15 percent of our brains. Choline is the critical component of acetylcholine, and you know our brains are electrical systems. Acetylcholine is the main neurotransmitter that sends the signals, and lutein is the main component uh, found in your in your macula in your eye, but also in the vision processing centers in your brain. So what we're doing, I mean, I guess the easiest way to think about it is, you know, maybe you go to the supermarket and you look at some of these really cool protein products which talk about how they have all this protein to build up your muscles because your muscles are made of protein. Or you'll go to the the dairy aisle and you see milk that's loaded with calcium because your bones and teeth are made of calcium and they need calcium. Well, what we're doing is the same thing. Your brain is made of DHA, it's made of acetylcholine, it's made of lutein, and lots of science
0: behind how important these things are, and that's what we do. So take me back when all your friends that are experts are telling you that your third child's going to be all right. And thank goodness, very, very, obviously, like very, very thrilled that your third child's all right. But, you know, pointing the direction as well as, you know, it's your older kids, you know, just making sure that they're actually eating the right things. And that made you curious. What were kind of the next steps that you took that resulted into like the opportunity that became Brainiac?
1: well if it's alright Mike I'll tell you a little piece of that story because one of the things I heard that you're loaded with when you have an infant is like the first 1,000 days are so critical and and if you don't do what you need to do then you know they don't say it but you kind of feel like all is lost and look the first 1,000 days truly are but I asked that question I'm like what about this 1,000 day thing you're telling me it really matters for my older kids and you're telling me it matters for me and you know the, the, the story that came back or the question that came back. It was a pediatrician and she asked me, would you allow your kid to do a lot of the things that you need to do every day as an adult? Could they do adulting now? And I said, well, no, they couldn't do adulting. And she said, well, do you think that's because they don't have the experience? And I said, It's probably a little bit because they don't have the experience. And then she looked at me and she said, and it's because their brains aren't developed anywhere near where they need to be. You're not going to leave your eight-year-old, your seven-year-old, your six-year-old alone. They're not equipped. Their brains aren't done. But the bottom line is that even as adults, we need to continue to replenish these critical nutrients and it has an impact on brain maintenance and brain performance later in life. So look, that to me was this like, wow. But then it's like, okay, You now know this, what do you do with it?
0: Right, and so, you know, as you're kind of thinking about, okay, it's how do you also, you know, develop the brain, not only, you know, the inputs in terms of what you say as a parent, right, and what they learned in school, and and obviously in that way, but also the actual nutrients that it needs in order to actually grow and, you know, and be able to function a lot more a, a lot better to be, you know, and a lot more, you know, successful just like you would for your body, right? Nutrition's not only for your body, it's also for your brain. And so were you then thinking about okay, since you obviously come from a very very heavy science background, were you thinking about formulations, were you thinking about okay, what type of products would kind of make sense that would be introduced? Like what was kind of like the next step from from that perspective?
1: I've started a bunch of companies and so the very first move for me was to bring in help. I had worked with this amazing guy at my previous company. You know, he had come from 17 years, I think, at Cargill, where he had been instrumental in building from the supply chain up and then running the Truvia brand, which you may have seen on on store shelves. It's a really wonderful Stevia sweetener. And, you know, he and I had worked together. He, like me, three young kids. He, like me, like really excited about the idea of being able to build brands that can make a difference. And so I started to beg him. That was the first thing I did. I said, there's an opportunity here. And I started to work on him. Ultimately, that worked. His name is Mark Brooks, and and he's my co-CEO. But the other thing I did was I formally assembled the experts. So I brought together pediatric neurologists and, and pediatricians and brain chemistry biologists and a whole host of really, really bright people who really knew what the brain was made of, what, you know, brains needed to perform, both at the kid and at the adult level. I, you know, I, I, I spoke plenty to my dad, who's a neurologist. My brother-in-law, also a neurologist, but I didn't bring them on formally because working with family is uh, sometimes not the easiest thing, as you may know. So I, I assembled this amazing group of, of experts into a science and nutrition advisory board so we could figure out what people and kids really needed, and how much, and then we could figure out, you know, what to do from there.
0: So, once you had this advisory board, and you're thinking about, okay, what are the critical ingredients, right? Which the three that you mentioned, right, the DHA, omega three, choline, and and lutein. How did you also manage of you know creating better for your products for the brain that are brain oriented, but also obviously, that ones that need to also taste good, right? And so how was that as kind of a balancing act and when you approach kind of like the early formation of of Bradiac? Look, I think
1: you're asking a good question. It was hard, but part of it was about how you frame what it is you're doing. And I found that once we really framed what we wanted to do and be, it became easier to answer those questions. And w- what we decided we really wanted to do was to become a brain health company that was focused on proven science. And we wanted to be a brain health company focused on proven science that could deliver really easy, everyday solutions to the broadest possible audience really accessibly also, which means, you know, not some super expensive pharmaceutical or, you know, but something that people could actually afford. And and just to jump forward, our biggest retail partner is Walmart. So that should tell you a little bit about how we think about accessibility. I mean, we're also uh, national in Whole Foods, but, you know, it's important to us to be national in a place like Walmart. But once we knew we wanted to be accessible and we defined ourselves as brain health, Then it was, how do we really deliver that brain health in the form of these critical nutrients in the right amounts? And then we stepped down into looking at the world more from the perspective of product. And as we had defined ourselves as a brain health company, we knew that we wanted to be across categories and we wanted to make the foods that we were making easy to eat and familiar. And, you know, I think... One of the important things for us was we created a one degree of weird rule. And uh, our one degree, we only allow ourselves one degree of weird. So what that means is we've used our one degree of weird on making food that's designed for brain health and brain nutrition. So everything else needs to be familiar, the kinds of foods, the flavors, the packaging. We certainly try to do it with the best ingredients possible, but we're also aware that if you go too low on something like sugar, you may end up having an incredibly nutritious product that doesn't deliver any nutrition. So we always kind of figure out what's the best Nutritional profile we can provide that people will still eat, that kids will still eat. And so that's important to us. But the big thing was, what are the categories? You know, so a a big thing that we do today is we do fruit and vegetable pouches for toddlers and for kids. We also do bars for kids and for adults. We also do nut butters like almond butter and peanut butter. And we do chocolate versions of those too. And those are for kids and for adults. Our goal is to really provide the right nutrition across the family.
0: I also appreciate you mentioning that approach, how it's not just for one age group, one demographic. It's you wanted to be obviously a cross category. But when you were starting out, since you know, obviously you had a very grand vision and certainly are doing extremely well towards that vision, how though did you also begin? You know, obviously you wanted to be cross-category, you wanted to be appeal to you know, uh, the kid who is obviously still growing and developing, and as well to the adult. Where was kind of that starting point, or did you kind of start just releasing a lot of products from the very very beginning? Was there specific skews that you particularly started with?
1: You know, for us, I mean, this is also the difference. This is also my perspective on on CPG. If you're going to do things for consumers, then the single hardest thing to do. Particularly as you get older and you've had some successes. I've also had failures, by the way. But as you've had some successes and you get older, you know, um, one of the hardest things to do is to listen. And so, as hard as it is to listen in order to succeed with consumers, that's exactly what you need to do. And so, look, we thought we had answers about what the right products were, what the right way to go about doing what we were doing was. But what we really ended up needing to do was to go out and talk, talk to Adults, talk to parents, talk to kids. We talked to, you know, I don't know, at this point, thousands of people. And that really helped inform where we were going to point. And then I think the second thing from a product perspective is we tried things. And we were selective about the markets that we launched in first, so that we didn't spend an enormous amount of money to find out if they were interesting. Generally, so we launched a lot of things, you know, on Amazon, for instance, or on our own website, to see how consumers responded, how they felt about it before we went any further.
0: That's really helpful. I mean, what were some of your? Because I think that's so awesome that you're able to perform um, that that market research, talking with parents, talking with kids. What were some of your biggest learnings? In those discussions, and was, was there anything where that maybe you might have had a thesis or a thought around maybe a particular product that you thought would be do well, and then you came away from those conversations and you were like, okay, let me go back to the drawing board because that's definitely not the the right product that we should be launching? Or I would love to kind of learn about like some of like the some of your takeaways. We had
1: takeaways like. You know, trying to do things early on that are cold chain, for instance, like, uh, like dairy. We developed a yogurt, you know. Unfortunately, we launched it right into COVID, which was the mother of all supply chain disruptions. And so I think, you know, for us, you know, a lot of our learnings are what you're doing has to be practical as well as accessible as well as desirable so practical was it was a big thing which you know has really become important to us to figure out you know what can we produce what can we produce at very high quality at a reasonable cost structure that we can still be profitable while serving a broad community and making a big difference and so i mean look there were other things you know when with some of our early packaging you know we were playing with superheroes because we thought that it was so important to connect uh, with the kids right there on the shelf and 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 it is, but what we found was it was even more important to provide a really crisp message to their parents and that we could do a lot on the actual product itself to excite the kids, but we still needed to do a lot on the outer packaging to get people and parents to understand what we did. So, you know, some of that stuff, it's trial and error and it, it happens in every company. I think, Mike, anyone who tells you that a lot of products get their packaging and messaging right out of the gate is you know blowing smoke to put it kindly. I mean, there are certainly a very small number of products which just for whatever reason immediately take off without really needing any adjustment. But that's not most products. Most products, you know, you're really paying attention. Even if you're right on, you're still going to have to tweak your messaging, et cetera. And look, you said something interesting about what we do. Part of what we do is make products that we uh, want to appeal to kids. We also make products that we think are really uh, appealing to adults as well because the brain nutrition gap is not one that only exists with kids. It It exists very much with adults. But taking your example with kids, kids' product marketing is different because the first sale is usually to the parent, but the additional sales thereafter are always based on the kid. Because as a parent, I know you're a parent, you buy something and you, you give it to your kids and then they don't finish it, you're not going to go buy it again. So you're marketing to two different constituencies. And so, you know, you got to be thoughtful about that. At the same time, you know, we also have products that are, we're really marketing more to adults and, and that's different messaging. And, and so it's, it's, there's a bit of, 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 of tweaking that has to go on to make that work.
0: You alluded to this a little bit, earlier with covid and launching partially during during covid what has been the reaction during covid what maybe changes maybe have you had to make with brainiac since you know march 2020 i mean would love to kind of learn a little bit about your perspective there
1: part of it is as simple as something that you hear from everybody and you hear it from everybody because it's true the supply chain challenges to build something from scratch, really, the supply chain challenges have been, you know, pretty enormous. And, you know, I think if I was earlier in my career and I didn't have the kind of gray hair that you see on my chin now, and Mark, by the way, is as old as I am. And I mean, what we did differently is we hired supply chain and operations people early And we spent to get really good people, and I think we've worked really hard to treat them well. Now, that doesn't mean we haven't had operational challenges, but it is something I'm not sure I would have put nearly as much energy into earlier in my career. But now you realize that it's not just uh, creating good products, and it's not just convincing people that your products are there and that they fulfill an important purpose. But it's making sure that you can produce them, you can get them where they need to go at the right quality and at the right cost and ultimately at the right price. And look, COVID has been really, really difficult. I mean, the the appreciation in some of our key ingredients, the unavailability of ingredients, the need to work on backups. Um, some things you would never guess would be difficult to source. You know, our bars are made of quinoa and chia and pea syrup, as well as a lot of omega-3s and, and lutein. And guess what? We had a better time getting the omega-3s and the lutein than we did getting the quinoa. Uh, so, so we've had to be very thoughtful. And I think the other thing related to that is as a small company, we've had to put in enormous effort into being a really good partner with a lot of our co-manufacturers it can't be transactional in a world like this it has to be relationship driven
0: what was that like from the very beginning stages when you founded Brainiac when was the first moment that you realized you wanted to you need to raise capital and what's been kind of the biggest reason why investors invested in you and maybe the biggest reason why investors actually ended up passing on Brainiac
1: Yeah, look, I I think Brainiac's probably not the ideal example from a fundraising standpoint, and that's because I I was fortunate enough this time to put the very first money in myself and to, to prove out a part of the concept before I went out and talked to anybody, which is definitely not the case in some of my earlier companies. I think that with Brainiac, what I did was I really, you know, I think you learn along the way that everybody is... A good investor when your performance is up and into, is up and to the right, but the real importance—and I'm sure I can't imagine how many times you've heard this, Mike—but you know what you really care about with an investor is when things aren't up and to the right. How are they going to behave? Are they going to buckle down and help you? And you know what's the advice you're going to get? Are they going to go out on a limb to do things for you to make connections? To you know, and so you know, for me it was you know i guess i'd been around long enough to have met a good number of institutional investors who you know i knew from both them and from people they'd worked with were were company building investors and there's a lot of vc out there even if you know it's contracting right now in the face of you know a, d- a tougher environment there's still a lot of vc a lot of money out there but a lot of that money is not run by People who either have experience or a real desire to build companies. I mean, there's there are plenty of people that do. So I'm not trying to imply that's not the case. But you know, to me, I I had the the good fortune this time to really go out and you know, I you know, my our first investors was a guy I've known for a long time, uh, Peter uh, Abar at Lux. Peter and I have known each other forever, and I knew what Peter would behave like if things got tough. So I think. um, you know th- these are the kinds of decisions
0: what's one book that's inspired you personally and one book that's inspired you professionally
1: it's funny you know i've read so much but i think a book that you know has really impacted me it's it's not even a book it's a combination of a book and a documentary i saw and i'm going to preface this you know and maybe it's a weak thing to do to preface this but you know having been to lots of conferences and and partnered with lots of companies I'm always a little skeptical, naturally, when I come in, when the keynote speaker is some, like, extreme athlete, right? I'm always a little skeptical about what you're going to get out of it. You know, it's pain and it's this and whatever, and I'm sorry to be so glib about it, but I read Alex Honnold's book. He's a climber. He's a free climber, a solo climber. He wrote a book um, about climbing uh, El Cap. Free Climbing El Cap Solo. They made a documentary about it, which I have to say, being able to read the book and watch the documentary was, was really wild. And, you know, notwithstanding my inherent kind of, what I said, the little cynicism, you know, if you read and you watch what he does while he's training to solo, to free solo El Cap, he has this little notebook, and he's literally recording every single movement from the bottom to the top. And not only that, but he's practicing and then he's changing them and the attention to detail for the preparation for what this guy does is astonishing. And then you you kind of tie it with, the, you know, you see him and they show you this in the, in the documentary and so how much time did he really do it? I don't know, but it seems like a lot. You see him hanging from his door jam on, on like one finger or two fingers and the amount of energy that's going into that specific level of physical training because his life can be depending on his single fingertip grip. Like for me, I couldn't help but go to companies that I've started, companies I run, and companies that I'm an investor in and think to myself, wow, if you can take that level of planning and that level of dedication to developing the right skills and abilities as a founder, as an entrepreneur, maybe it's not that you can't do anything, but you can accomplish an enormous amount, I think.
0: I really appreciate that you brought up that, uh, uh, that book and the documentary. I was a huge fan of, of uh, Free Solo. I thought it was unbelievable what Alex does. My final question for you, Jonathan, is what's the best piece of advice that you've received?
1: Look, the simplest one, the one that's had the biggest impact on my life for sure, was my grandmother, who said to me when I was 16, the most important decision you'll make in your life, Jonathan, and she said this in a thick Brooklyn accent, the most (laughs) important decision you'll make in your life, Jonathan, is who you marry. And look, I mean, you know, I'm not, that impacts everything. It impacts me professionally and personally, and man, she was right. I mean, it's just something that you cannot overestimate the importance of if you make a lifestyle choice to have a long-term significant other, you know? I mean, people should make whatever choices they want, but if you make that choice, the importance of that choice can have a huge impact on anything. I think the other one, I mean, which this is a little bit more, maybe it was a lot more directly business-driven. Somebody said to me when I was getting ready to start my first company, you should be a little naive. And I looked and I'm like, Whoa, what? be a little naive. Don't don't be a lot naive, but be a little naive. And my, you know, my, my question was, okay, why? And the answer was, look, some of the best breakthroughs, some of the most important things that have ever happened come from people who either didn't know or didn't believe that the things they were trying to do weren't doable, right? I mean, ultimately, I mean, in my career, there's been quite a few experts who told me that something that I wanted to do wasn't possible. And I've spoken to a ton of entrepreneurs who have had exactly the same experience. I don't think that that's unique to me. But I think figuring out when experts are really expert, being a little naive. I mean, even if at the end of the day, I think when you talk to people who have done these unbelievable things, there's sometimes a thread where they where they literally say, when I look back, if I knew how hard it was going to be, if I knew how long it was going to take, I don't think I would have ever done it. Right. I've heard so many people say a variation of that. And then you kind of pull them aside and you're like, would you really have not done it? And and they pretty much all they shake their heads and they're like, nah, man, I would do it again. And you know, so my advice is be a little naive and go out and make an assumption sometimes that you really can do it, that it is possible.
0: I love both of these advice. Well, oh, Jonathan, this has been such a fun conversation. Thanks again so much for coming on the show. Mike, I love your
1: show. You have got the greatest guests and you do a great job with them. Yeah, you know, I just, uh, I want to live up to my side of it. So thank you for having me. I'm going to continue to be a fan.
0: That's so kind, Jonathan. That's so kind. Thanks again so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. This is so much fun spending time with you. Yeah, me too. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure having Jonathan on the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. I certainly did. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter, at mikegelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.